We love our Lord as we enter into 2012. It is good to gather in the house of the Lord on January the 1st, 2012. Amen. I don't know about you, but Jill and I are party animals. We went out and uh, got some Chinese last night after the service. Uh, put myself into a slight food coma. 10 o'clock, I'm on the sofa. You know what I'm talking When you wake yourself up, then you... What was that? Oh, was, was, it, was a dog barking? Yeah, that was me, you know. I'm bed at sound asleep by 10.30. I didn't know Rick was talking. I didn't hear any dogs barking or anything else. I was gone. So uh, welcome to Big Valley Grace. Uh, it's good to see you all. And uh, I want you to go back with me in time a little bit as we set the context for our message today. About 3,500 years ago, in the time of the Exodus, Moses is an old man. Uh, he's probably been on planet Earth about 80 years now, and he's been called by God to lead the Israelites out of bondage, out of Egypt, into the land of milk and honey. And Moses has uh, gone into Egypt, and uh, we know the story. We all saw the movie with uh, Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner, and we all... Uh, I'm sure everybody's seen that at least uh, five times. And uh, Moses goes in and uh, gets the people out of Egypt. It's a tough uh, battle for him, but he does this. And they, they go out, and then they cross the Red Sea. The Lord moves the Red Sea back, and then they journey into the desert. And, and uh, in just a few months, they're, at, they're camped at this place called Kadesh Barnea which is in, the, uh, is in the desert just south of the promised land. What we know is today is Israel, but they're in this desert area at this oasis, Kadesh Barnea, and, 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 and the Lord commands Moses to send out uh, some, some, some people to check out the land, some spies, if you will, to spy out the land. They were to go north and see the promised land. Now, they've just been let out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've moved around a little bit, but they've camped in this spot, and God says, go, do this. And so Moses picks 12 men, one from each tribe. He gets one leader from each tribe. Keep that nice and fair. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat. From Judah, Caleb. From Issachar, Egal. From the tribe of Ephraim, Joshua. From Benjamin, Palti. From Zebulon, Gadiel. From Manasseh, Gadai. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel. From Asher, Sether. From Naphtali, Nabi. And from Gad, Geul. And so they go on this 40-day spy journey to the land of the north. And they, and they travel all the way up through Israel, all the way back around, and come back after 40 days. And, and when they returned, they really didn't have to give a report about the land. They came in with two other guys, had this pole, and it's sagging under the weight of this cluster of grapes. It was larger than anything anyone's ever seen when they come into camp. And, and they have pomegranates the size of a water gourd and, and figs that are sweeter than anything anyone's ever tasted before. They didn't have to give a report on this land of milk and honey. But they had all come back in fear except for two, except for Caleb and Joshua. The other 10 leaders of these tribes came back in fear. 
there were these Amalekites and Hittites and Jebusites and Canaanites in this land. And they had fortresses and they had weapons. And as they came back and they spread the rumor throughout the camp and it traveled throughout the camp, the people kept getting bigger and their weapons kept getting more powerful. Their walls were taller. Their numbers were more numerous. And so in a few short hours, the entire camp was riddled with fear. And the people refused to go. And so God condemned them to wander in the desert for 40 years, one year for each day that they had explored the land until all the grumblers would be gone. Those people would not enter the promised land. And at this time, Moses knew that his years would be many more as he would continue to lead the people. And so now it's a few weeks later into their, they've started their 40 years in the desert, wandering in the desert. Maybe a few weeks, maybe a couple of months have gone by. They're not far from Kadesh Barnea. When you're moving a million plus people around, you don't go very far every day. So at this new camp, Moses is alone with the Lord and he prays this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust saying, return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like a new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, as we gather here this morning and we look forward to 2012, Lord, teach us to number our days aright in this coming year for your honor and glory. Help us to, as we look at this scripture, Lord, to ask and receive what you might have for us in this calendar year. Lord, I know you want for us uh, for every day of our lives. But as we kick off this year, Lord, we, we want to be attentive to what you might want to say to us as we take a look at this incredible psalm by uh, uh, your man Moses from thousands of years ago. 
Thank you, God, for your provision. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I confess to you, I took a little dramatic license in there describing the setting. I, we don't know exactly when he prayed that prayer. But I was just trying to put that in context. I wonder what Moses was thinking as he put, penned that psalm. It's easily the oldest of all the psalms in the Psalter uh, by centuries. The psalm tells of God's sovereignty and man's frailty and trouble. His plea is for the people and for God's favor for his people in spite of their lack of trust. You see, these people had been slaves for hundreds of years. They didn't trust God. They didn't know how to trust. They'd been lied to, abused, and used for somebody else's pleasure for so long, they simply didn't know how to trust anymore. Look, let's put this in context here, okay? Decades longer than our country had been in existence, these people were slaves. If you remember the story, Joseph goes to uh, Egypt, uh, um, and eventually rises through the ranks and becomes the assistant to the king, if you will. And the entire nation of Israel comes to, to Egypt and they flourish there for a while. Joseph is in charge and they flourish and everything's great. They're going to be there a total of 430 years. But somewhere in that first 100 years or so, Joseph moves on and, and the people become slaves. And they have been enslaved now for probably in the neighborhood of 300, 300 plus years. Think about that. You, your father, your father's father, your father's 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 father's. Count back 15 of those generations more or less if you, if you, if you want. Somewhere in there. Slavery, cruel, abusive slavery. See, these people didn't know anything else. Yes, God had led them out of Egypt and into this desert area, and they had seen a couple of miracles already. But after 300 years of being lied to and abused and manipulated and used for somebody else's pleasure, I don't think trust came too easy to the people. It's easy for me to read through the Scriptures and go, Boy, what a bunch of nuts, man. Why weren't they paying attention to God and being more trusting of him? But when I put it in that context, I go, yeah, I wonder how we would have been acting after 300 years of constant slavery. And they were also finding it uh, uh, difficult, almost impossible to obey God. They were used to just one authority, a whip on their back. That's how they were told to do things. That's not exaggeration. That's how it was done back then. They used the whip to get the slaves to do the work that they wanted to do. They had the whip on their back for hundreds of years. And so following a God they could not see and listening to his commands through a man like Moses, who had had plenty of problems of his own and they had seen some of those in Egypt, simply proved too much for them. They weren't trusting and they weren't obedient. And without trust and without being obedient, the work of their lives was just simply self-serving. That's what they were always attentive to. And when I say the word work, we use that word in the Bible a lot, our works and stuff. It's more than our eight to five job. It, it, it really, it's the activities of our lives. And so uh, their work was just self-serving, just enough to survive, just enough to keep their masters happy, just enough to eat, no more. 
the people had grumbled and they had subsisted and God had led them into the desert to be refined. I submit to you that this psalm is as relevant today for God's people as it was 3,500 years ago when it was penned. The request that Moses puts before God is summarized in, in, in verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is the result of numbering our days aright. It's more than being smart about something. I've met some really, really intelligent people that have trouble getting a pill bottle opened. Okay? You can be really smart about things. But that doesn't mean you have wisdom or common sense. Wisdom is a cognitive, spiritual, and experiential knowledge that is gathered through the living and reflected in our lives, not the other way around. Very few people are born with great amounts of wisdom. Those are the things we gather as we live out life. I, I think I'm a little wiser now than I was when I was 20. I'm, I'm sure of it. And if you go back through Numbers and read through uh, the book, especially chapters 13 and 14, you can get a sense of the lack of trust that these people have in anything, much less this God that they cannot see. How would you have acted? 300 years of slavery and cruelty. What would that have looked like for you? We live in a culture right now where only 9% of the people trust Congress. Their approval rating, their trustworthiness, if you will, is is 9%. How can you get your your trust level that low? I mean, you got to work hard to be that untrustworthy. It's never been that low. Think about that. And I don't know if you're a Democrat or a Republican. I don't get into all that. There's that partisanship that's going out there and stuff. And these things that are, that are driving behaviors that, that, that just take away our trust of the leadership. 9%. Man, I hope mine never gets down to 9%. Why? Because for the 91% that say that is they haven't shown themselves to be trustworthy. They haven't shown themselves to have the interest of the people at heart. That's why we find them untrustworthy. And now trust in our government today ebbs and flows with the conditions that change every day. And we can get tweets and text and emails and TV and radio. I mean, all this stuff that's constantly influencing uh, our, our thoughts about those things. But think of a consistent history. Nothing ever changes for 300 years of oppression and abuse. What would your trustworthiness of the leadership be? It'd be low. Now, let's go forward now, a thousand, more than a thousand years, really, to the time of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to the Jews. Now, the situation, again, they're being uh, oppressed. They're in bondage again, the people of Israel. They finally got to the promised land. They even had a kingdom raised up. They had the great kings and this great power for, for uh, a few centuries. And then boom, back down again because of their unfaithfulness. 
and the Greeks come in and then eventually the Romans take over and the people are oppressed again. And during this time of the kingdom and, and actually starting with Moses, they're giving this law that God gives them these words to live by and he wants them to live by these words and, uh, uh, that we call the law. But they took this law and they built a code around it. They built this big, huge code, this thing, this Pharisees we talk about all the time, had all these different interpretations and rules that went with each of these laws that God never intended. And now they, they've established this code and they hold on to it dearly because they think that's the only thing they can trust. The Jews are holding on to this code. And Jesus said this, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. Jesus needed to convince them once again that what he was saying, what, who God is, is trustworthy. It wasn't the code. It was him. It was God. And before they could hear the rest of the good news, they needed to understand that and accept the fact that God is trustworthy. And many did not believe some did, but many did not. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you have to believe that he is trustworthy. It can't be like Congress, whose approval rating changes every day. Oh, wow, I'm getting back a couple thousand dollars on my tax return. Jesus, you're an 85. You rock. Oh, man, my engine blew. $2,400 to get the engine on my car. Jesus, you've slipped to a 38. Dude, you got to get on the stick. That's not God. It can't be that way. He's a hundred all the time. Yet in our society today, people are just so <sighs> quick to change their, their trust in things and stuff. And, and while we're at it, let's talk about the latest fads that are out there and stuff. Don't be chasing after these fads like, you know, that they, they, they can be trusted. I, I went on the Internet because it's such a trustworthy source. And um, uh, I got this. It's the official countdown manual. Okay? And you can buy this if you go on the Internet, if you want this, to, to count down to December 21st, 2012. You know what that is, any of you? Okay? That's the Mayan calendar counts down to zero. It's the end of the world, okay? And if you get the manual, you can learn the real truth about government cover-ups, swine flu pandemics, and no natural disasters that are headed our way, and how people with power are not telling you everything they need to know. Learning how you can help turn what, may, uh, what many believe to be the darkest period in history into the most enlightened could universal racial harmony be really, really be achievable? Okay. All right, here's a good one. Discovering the massive phantom that is hiding right behind the sun. Is it Nibiru, Planet X, something else entirely? And how will this change your survival plan? Speaking of survival plans, will it be Adam and Eve all over again? If so, do you have what it takes to start over for humanity. Hey, you, Adam, you might be sitting right out there. The next Adam and Eve are sitting right out there. I hope you're married. <laughs> oh, man. Realizing the age of Aquarius isn't merely a hippie anthem, but a time in history we're already in. 
And then here's my favorite. Discovering, <laughs> I, I just can't believe people are buying this book. Discovering how you deal with simple things like drinkable water and breathable air. And even going to the bathroom in 2012. It may not be pretty, but you'll have to know this stuff. Listen, I got up this morning, it's January 1st, 2012, and I went to the bathroom and it was pretty much the same as 2011. <laughs> and it wasn't pretty. You know, it's easy to, to, you know, you you just read this stuff and you go, really? And people are going to buy that. Somebody's going to pay for the countdown manual. And so it's easy to to kind of, I can blast away at that one and ridicule that. But there's a lot of other right sounding things out there that are founded in heresy. Let me tell you a couple things. You're not a little God. You can't earn heaven. Jesus was not just a well-meaning prophet, nor was he just a high-ranking angel. He is God, or he is not. He is trustworthy, or he is not. And I believe that he is. The linchpin of this entire sermon hangs on the trustworthiness of God. You see, I number my days aright, trusting in God. And if God is trustworthy, shouldn't we be? Shouldn't I be? Moses said, teach us the number our days are right. We do that when we demonstrate the trustworthiness of God. In Luke 19, uh, Jesus tells this parable. Now, a parable is a story. It it has lots of detail in it. But a parable is a story that really has a a, a central thought that that Jesus wanted to give. It was a popular communication tool of that day. It had one, one center point, if you will, that he wanted to communicate. And so we hear this parable of the talents, and a talent is, really was a weight that they used to weigh gold or silver or whatever to measure money. And in this parable of the talents, he tells, Jesus tells of a master in it that represents God, who gives a smaller responsibility to a servants, and that is to be us or followers of God. And then when the servant or a servant acts in a trustworthy manner, God said this. Well done, my good servant, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. And that's a little hyperbole to show that God wants our trustworthiness. That's what that parable is about. God wanting our trustworthiness. And for the servant that wasn't trustworthy, well, it didn't end as well. You see, God expects his followers to be trustworthy. If God is trustworthy, then I am to be the same. Are you trustworthy? You go, oh, that's a pretty easy question. But I'm going to ask you that again. Are you trustworthy? This is what I believe. I've said it before. Your testimony is what people think of you when you walk into the room. Oh, I can tell you some fine-sounding stories or get up here and preach a message. You can, you know, say different things and and everything else. But the truth of the matter is your testimony is what people think of you when you walk into the room. When you walk into the room, they go, wow, hard worker, honest, good friend, trustworthy. 
lazy, uh, liar, sluggard, manipulator. See, we all do that. We all have judgments of others. I, I, I can't help it, and you can't help it. It's part of being human. That, that saying is there's, there, there's never a ch- second chance to make a first impression is true. Reputations are difficult, difficult things to change. Are you trustworthy? What do people think about you when you walk into the room? And will you be trustworthy in 2012? You know, my son, uh, my oldest son, Matthew, when he was in high school, um, he got caught lying. But not by me, by his friends. He told a lie. And, And it really wasn't necessary even. But I remember sitting down and talking with him and saying, it's going to take a long time for you to change that opinion. When you walk into a room now, Matt, with your friends, the first thing they're going to think in their mind is liar. It's hard to change your testimony once you get one. So work hard at being trustworthy in 2012. But not only were the people having trouble being trustworthy with Moses, they were also de- he was also dealing with the people who had trouble with obedience. I mean, read the Exodus story, and what you see is the people who were always resisting what God wanted from them. If God is trustworthy, and we have established that he is, then he deserves our obedience. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, was obedient even... To himself, He could not be disobedient to himself, being in his very nature God. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2.6. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God cannot be disobedient to his own nature. That's what makes him trustworthy. The scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's what makes him trustworthy. We can depend on that. And because we can, we can be obedient to his word. I number my days aright in my obedience, in my trustworthiness and trusting in God and in my obedience. He makes this expectation clear in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, when he says, we see this little vignette in in Luke. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. There is a clear expectation that we, the body of Christ, are obedient to what God teaches. You can't say, I trust in Christ and I'm going to follow him the rest of my days, but hold on. Whoa. Bedroom. That's kind of private, God. Don't, don't, don't enter into my sex life. Okay, that's really kind of off limits. You know, I'll go to work. I'll be a good member of the community. I'll do my job. I'll come to church regularly, but uh, uh, you you, got to stay out of there. 
Come on. And, and hey, 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 wallet. Come on. The Bible says you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Do you really have to have full control of my money, God? Let's stay out of that, too. I'll handle that. Doesn't work that way. The expectation for God is that we will be obedient in all matters as best we can all the time. Be obedient to God this day and every day. Verse 10 of, of Psalm 90, I read it earlier, says this. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. You see, our lives are finite. And God wants us to be obedient for however many years we are here. He does. My mom passed away on November 6th. She was one of those pictures that was up there. And uh, it was difficult to lose mom. And uh, there was a lot of weeping and, and mourning and stuff as we said goodbye. But uh, in the aftermath of that, I've come in touch with my own mortality. I'm, I'm kind of next in line, okay? The parents, the grandparents, just all the families pretty much gone. And at 59, um, I, I recognize that one day I will be on earth no more. I'll be gone. I have a set number of days and I want to live them aright for God. And frankly, there are days when I'm not the most obedient Christian on the planet. Or in California. Or in Modesto. Or even in my home. Like any Christian, I know that the grape clusters are huge. And, and that the, the figs are, are sweeter than anything else but I'm scared to enter into that promised land fully of trust and obedience in Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm conditioned by sin the same way the Israelites were conditioned by the whip on their back. Sins conditioned me. I say this because like me, you will struggle with being obedient all the time. But don't allow the whip of sin to beat you back down. Stay the course, trust God, and do your best to be obedient in 2012. And finally, Moses was dealing with the people whose work for God was less than stellar. Remember, that is the activity of their lives. I'm not talking about just their day-to-day -day labor, but everything that they, they, they did in life. If you read uh, just a couple of chapters later in the book of Numbers, rebellion breaks out in chapter 16, and it tells the story of Korah and Dathan and, and, and Abraham and about 250 other uh, leaders, well-known members of the communities, if you will, appointed by the council, and they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. They, their, their work, their activity seemed to have a good motive. They came to, to do what's best for Israel. But the truth of the matter is, is they were in opposition to God. God had made Moses and Aaron the leaders, and they were in rebellion. They, their, their work, their activity for the Lord there was against God. And without going into a lot of detail, let me just say that it ended very badly for them. If you find God trustworthy and are being obedient to the best of your ability, then it will be reflected in the activities of your life. Show me a Christian who claims to trust Jesus 
and be obedient to his word, yet it is not reflected consistently in the activities of his or her life. And I'll either show you a false believer or an immature believer who has a lot to learn. We number our days aright in the activities of our lives. Or, put it this way, I number my days aright in my work. I want to read to you a couple of passages. If you are following along in, in, in the bulletin, you might want to underline these a couple of phrases here I'm going to give you. Out of Hebrews chapter 6, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work or the love you have shown him if you have helped his people and continue to help them. Underline, continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence, underline diligence, to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Underline, imitate those through faith and patience. You want to number your days to right, boy, that last one right there is a great one there. Find somebody that's been doing it a long time and go alongside them. I know at 9 o'clock we have the reputation of being a lot more of the senior saints here. Maybe you're one of those folks that have been doing it a long time. Find somebody to share it with, to mentor, to encourage, that they might number their days aright. 3 John 8 says this, We ought therefore to show hospitality, underline hospitality, to such people that we may work together, underline work together for the truth hospitality, unity, that we are together in this thing is important if we're going to number our days aright in 2012. And finally, this last passage out of Galatians 5.22, you can just circle this whole thing. You ought to memorize this one. Just know this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those first three are kind of internal conditions of love and joy and peace. But then the other six are these external demonstrations of living our days aright for God. If you get these down, I promise you, you will be well on your way to living right for God. And so my question for you today is, have you been grumbling in the desert Have you been fearful of truly giving yourself over to God in 2012? How will you number your days in 2012? I know for many of you, 2011 hasn't been the greatest of years. Hey, Bobby, my marriage is slipping away. How do I number that? My daughter's gone. I don't even know where she is. How do I number that, Bobby? I can't pay my mortgage this month. I'm going to be evicted within 30 days. How do, how do I number that, Bobby? I'm not trying to stand up here and act like, oh, everything's going to be great if you just number your days aright. In fact, if you go back and you look at the psalm, Moses said <laughs> in our 70 or 80 years, there's a bunch of sorrow and trouble. This is not a promise to make things easy. I'll answer this question, and you may not like the answer, but this is it. How do you number those kind of days? The same way you number the good ones, by recognizing that God is trustworthy. He's deserving of our obedience, 
and a life lived for his glory. I am not saying that numbering your days for God is easy, but I'm saying this, it is completely, utterly, and 100% worthwhile. Why? Because on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this and remember. Remember that I died for your sins, that you might have eternal life, that I am completely trustworthy. I deserve your obedience because of my death and resurrection. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and filling the cup, he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. When you drink this, remember that, that 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 death and resurrection, I have established a new covenant in Jesus Christ, that we get to go into the promised land of eternity with Christ by his death and resurrection. Yes, my friends, he is trustworthy. He deserves our obedience and a life lived for his glory. I'm going to ask our hosts and hostesses to come forward now, and we're going to prepare to receive communion. I know over in the venue you will uh, uh, come forward to receive communion, and, and in the main sanctuary it will get demonstra- uh, distributed here in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to uh, charge you with this. Usually we give out all the elements and we eat them together. And that's a good way to do that. That's the way we should do it most of the time. But in this, this, on this New Year weekend, I'm gonna, we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to have more than one song. We've got a couple of songs here. You're going to be able to just spend some time with the Lord alone. Just be alone with God. And talk to God how you want to number your days aright in 2012. Remembering his death and resurrection on the cross that we might have eternal life. And so, Lord, as we uh, take this bread and drink from this cup, we remember what you did for us. And we look forward to what you will continue to do in 2012. Help us, God, to, to, to know what you want to say to us that we might number our days aright for your glory and your honor. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.